We're taking a vacation. Everything's fine. We'll be back on Monday. Now let's see what's going on. Merrill. Hey. Good to talk. It is uh, Chris Merrill in for Armstrong and Getty. Uh, busy, busy hour here, my friends. Uh, we'll talk about defunding the popo. We'll be joined by the Attorney General from the state of Utah, the great state of Utah. Sean Reyes joins us here uh, coming up in a little over 10 minutes. So we're excited to have uh, Sean on as well. And then um, uh, Ken and Karen's and Karen's Gone Wild, my favorite thing to come out of 2020 so far. My favorite aspect of 2020 is the Karen culture. Oh, just it is so fantastic uh, because there doesn't seem to be any shortage of people acting absurdly who tend to fit into this category that is being affectionately called Karen. So we'll talk more about that coming up this hour as well. Starting with defunding the police. What does that even mean? It's a good question. What does defund the police mean? And sadly, it seems that if you were to ask any two people who are protesting on the streets and ask them, what does that mean, defund the police, they probably would not have the same answer. They wouldn't, they wouldn't answer that the same way. So how in the world can you have any sort of, uh, any sort of conversation that's going to lead to any sort of reform if you can't even agree on what your message is to start with? This is where, and I've said this all along, I've said this uh, for the last couple of months, and that is that the, the protests are disjointed. And there's a, there's a good, there's a, it's good and bad, and I'll tell you why it's good and bad. Contrary to popular belief, uh, by some people on the internet. A disjointed protest does not mean that you've got a well-funded, organized protest. Well-funded, organized protests have their acts together. Because nobody's funding something that's just completely willy-nilly. Okay? They want to have a message. They, they have a purpose. They have a goal in mind. That's the nature of organized anythings. All right? If you're a member of an organization, that organization has a goal, and they work toward that goal. So I think when we start seeing the, the BLM protests... And I keep hearing about how Antifa is in the middle of this and Antifa is driving and all this other stuff. There is no organization. There is nothing here that would lead us to believe that there is a, a, a centralized mindset. There seems to be a lot of angst and anger and people saying we want change. But the message gets completely diluted after that. All right, That is indicative of an unorganized, grassroots, organic movement. The problem, however, while that while while having an unorganized grassroots organic movement is indicative of a group of people who demand some sort of change and they can agree that things are not the status quo is not okay, what it does, however, is it leads us into this sort of quandary of now what? What do you want from it? People don't really know the answer to that. They don't know. They just go, uh, something's bad. Now, there have been people along the way that have tried to identify what do we want? What are those demands? But they can't agree. They can't agree on what that might be. In fact, I was here from uh, from CNN, and I know a lot of you hate CNN. But here, this is great. Does defunding the police mean disbanding the police? According to Philip McHarris, a, a doctoral candidate in sociology at Yale, says it depends on whom you ask. He's also a lead research and uh, policy associate for the Community Resource Hub for Safety and Accountability. So he's the kind of expert that Rand Paul does want to listen to. 
says some supporters of divestment want to reallocate some but not all funds away from police departments to social services and reduce their contact with the public to reduce the likelihood of police violence. Those seeking to disband police consider defunding an initial step toward creating an entirely different model of community-led public safety. The concept exists on a spectrum, and the two aren't dichotomous but interconnected. Both interpretations center on reimagining what police safety looks like, shifting resources away from law enforcement and toward community resources. It also means dismantling the idea that police are public stewards meant to protect communities. Many black Americans and other people of color don't feel protected by the police, according to McHarris. So, what does it mean? I don't know. I don't know. And I got a word salad from a doctoral candidate, and it sounds like some people want to completely disband police forces as we know it and come up with a totally new system of public safety, community-led public safety. What is that going to look like? Because I got to tell you, I have a lot more trust in somebody that's gone through a police academy Right, they've gone through the police academy. They've received some iota of training. I trust that person long before I trust Willard on a golf cart. Right, if we're talking about community-led public safety, and that turns into the same kind of community-led public safety like the guy who's enforcing my HOA, Willard isn't protecting us. Willard is not going to make the community better, and Willard lets the power go to his head. Have you seen the new Geico commercial, incidentally, about the the HOA people that come through cutting off the mailbox because it was two inches too high? Like that's the HOA people. So is that community-led public safety? I don't know. I'm, I'm willing to take a look at other systems. Don't get me wrong. I'm certainly willing to take a look at other systems. But I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Does that make sense? I, I don't want to say, well, it's not perfect, so we throw it all out. Let's start from scratch. Okay. What does that perfect system look like? How do we head toward a more perfect system? It's not going to be perfect, but how do we get closer to our idea of perfection when it comes to policing? And And I'm really concerned that we have a lot of people saying defund or disband the police. And I think there's a difference between defunding and disbanding. We have a lot of people that are screaming this. They don't really know what what that's going to mean instead. I want to know what that looks like instead. One guy that may have an idea on this is uh, is a law and order gentleman by the name of Sean Reyes. He is the Attorney General in the great state of Utah, and he joins us next to talk about what does that even mean, defunding the police. It's Chris Merrill in for Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. been talking about the defunding the police defunding disbanding what does it mean what's happening in different states uh, we're going to see some some meaningful changes uh, sean reyes is the attorney general in the great state of utah and uh, mr reyes thank you so much for joining us here this morning it is uh, it's an honor to have you on the program sir i wanted to ask you about this defunding uh, the police where you stand on that what that what that really means is, as far as uh, legislative action or even, uh, I guess, in, in your case, enforcement 
of, of different actions within police departments. So I'm going to let you have the floor here, and I, I just threw out a bunch of questions for you. But, uh, Mr. Reyes, sure. thank you so much for being on here. So tell me a little bit about the defunding and what that looks like in Utah. Well, first of all, great to be with you, Chris. It's an honor to be on the show. I think there does need to be some meaningful uh, change and reform. I think law enforcement realizes that. And as the top law enforcement officer in my state, we've been working on a number of these issues, not just in the last few weeks, but um, for the last many years, at least while I've been in office, you know, in the wake of 2014, after Eric Garner's death, uh, after what happened uh, with Michael Brown um, and Ferguson, I sat down with leaders of the National Urban League, with NAACP, um, listened to many of their concern and the concerns and a few of the things that came out of that that we, um, that we experimented with in Utah that have been very successful, creating mobile crisis units that allow a, a therapist to go out with law enforcement, not in lieu of law enforcement. So we have both the advantages of someone who's better equipped to deal with an addict or perhaps a domestic violence situation, but also a law enforcement, which you need uh, traditional uh, in case a situation turns violent, which can happen very quickly. Um, it can be, uh, you know, deadly in just a matter of seconds. Uh, another program for mental health, health and wellness uh, for law enforcement officers, something that people don't think about a lot when they're put in situations with uh, highly traumatic um, cases over and over again, whether they're tracking down child predators and have to look at child pornography, whether they are murder scenes, um, dealing with rape cases, trying to get them healthy, changing the culture of a warrior mentality to one of more of a guardian mentality. And I think the flagship program for us has been the most effective. Chris has been a violence de-escalation protocol and training program that is very comprehensive. We use at the AG's office, and have trained over 3,500 of our law enforcement officers multiple times throughout the last few years. A, a product, a system called the Vertra system made by the company uh, by the same name, um, which is a, a highly immersive 300 degree surround sound uh, raised platform, fully actuated system, it's cutting edge. We use real weapons that are CO2 powered, laser guided, um, but we put officers in the most stressful confrontational situations. And it's a smart system that we can modulate depending on how well they react and respond. We can de-escalate. We teach them how to use their, their voice, understand what's happening physiologically, changing their posture. Um, and, and it's been a very effective tool, and we can layer in on top of that cultural training, uh, add-on uh, you know, information. We're working just last week on a protocol for dealing with the autism community to make sure that those in that highly vulnerable community uh, aren't misunderstood by um, police officers responding to situations, uh, the hearing impaired community, certainly communities of color. And so I think defunding the police is, is not, a, I think, a, a healthy approach. If you truly want law enforcement to be able to recruit, retain, and train the most highly prepared professional uh, you know, units, you need to not defund. In fact, you may need to actually increase funding, something that both Bernie Sanders and President Trump uh, agreed upon. Um, and, and I will say quickly that many of the programs that we're talking about in the defund the police dialogue, restorative justice, drug courts, uh, after-school programs, I think those are very healthy things. Uh, and we should be looking for opportunities to increase funding for those, but not by taking funding from law enforcement, at least traditional law enforcement, finding ways to combine them and complement each other, I think is the most powerful tool that we've seen 
in Utah, Chris. The uh, Attorney General in the state of Utah is Sean Reyes, and he joins us right now. And I like a lot of what you're talking about, especially when we talk about the technology and, and things like that. Uh, tell me more about the mobile crisis units. You said that that involves not only a law enforcement officer, but also somebody who's trained specifically in things like uh, drug abuse or, or family right. therapy, whatever else it might be. Is Is that something that we have to see an injection of funds in order to to make it really work so like now you're paying a full-time counselor and you're paying a law enforcement officer uh and is there in your point by the way about things escalating quickly is is well understood believe me is there is there any way that we can see cost saving i'm looking at this from a budgetary standpoint here okay not just a sure. defunded because it's a political standpoint but i'm looking at it from a from a budgetary standpoint because i'm concerned with seeing budgets continue to grow and expand and growing pensions and pension uh, uh, crises in states around the country. So is there a way that we can keep costs under control but still deliver the different services that you're talking about? Well, I think so. But to your point, of course you need to invest. If you want the best, you want the most capable, uh, whether it's on the therapist side or trained law enforcement officers, it's going to be, have to be an expenditure of some kind of funds. That said, we have found very creative ways to have uh, the private sector lean in. Um, to me, keeping government as lean as possible um, and, and out of the way uh, is often the best solution. Um, and, and having the private sector really uh, look when it comes to, for instance, uh, treatment and therapy, there are many centers which would offer up free services. but. The, it, you need a catalyst, someone to be able to get the the folks who need it most to those services, and that's where law enforcement has traditionally been asked to do something they're not particularly well equipped to do. Here, instead of taking them to to be incarcerated, we're taking them to recovery centers, not all of which are charging. Um, so, to your point, it doesn't necessarily have to be an increase in budget. It can be a reallocation. It can be a rethinking. Uh, uh, creatively how we're allocating resources. Is there a way to lock that in? You're talking about these private centers who are not necessarily charging, but I don't. that's not a very good business model. So is there a way to lock that in so that they don't come back to you after, after you've been working with officers for a while and the officers have said, look, we've got somebody who's got a drug uh, addiction issue, let's get them into some therapy, let's get them going, and all of a sudden somebody says, oh, you know what, we're going to start, we're gonna start hitting the, the department or we're going to start hitting the Utah Department of Justice for for these these uh, these fees. I mean, is there a way to work with people in the private community to make sure there's no surprises in the future? Sure. I mean, you can contractually lock them in, but I think more than that, I think once people realize how effective the system is, is to keep all of our communities safer, including communities of color. I think more and more and more of those organizations. I mean, the, the private sector, largely, at least the the leaders that I've worked with want to do the right thing. They want to do the thing that's uh, helpful, supportive, without having to raise taxes, without having to increase costs. And so they would readily allocate. And once some of them see there's a lot of peer pressure in terms of doing the right thing, uh, I think many more would answer and heed the call. I'll give you one quick example. It's not exactly pertinent, but it's similar. Uh, We had vets who were calling our office desperately in need of some legal representation. Um, and there weren't funds, there weren't budgets, um, and I didn't want to increase any more taxpayer burden. So we just called private sector law firms, friends, people that I knew, managing partners, saying, look, I know you have pro bono uh, requirements every year. Will your firm allocate a 1,000 hours of volunteer service to represent our vets 
Um, you, you call 50 law firms and pretty soon you bank, you know, 50,000 hours and you've solved something. Yeah. Law firms were more than happy to do that. They were, they were jumping in line to be able to give a service back. I think that's not the answer to everything, but it is scalable. And, and we need to be looking at solutions like that, Chris, as part of the larger equation. Uh, it sounds like you're trying to put Utah at the forefront of some uh, some meaningful reform. And, Sean, I thank you for doing that, too. Our Utah Attorney General, Sean Reyes, it's been a pleasure having you on the program. It went by very quickly, uh, and I appreciate your, your, your thoughts thank you. and, uh, and some of what you've got going on there. Yeah, take care, man. Good talking to you. I love hearing things uh, I love hearing things like the warrior versus a guardian. I think some of that is changing the mentality of what we see on the street and, as Sean put it, making sure that we're recruiting and retaining the best officers. I think all too often we think of that, um, you know, that, that person that gets a little, you know, the vets that have been there a long time, you can tell, the vet that's been there a long time, they kind of have their stuff together versus the rookie cop mentality. You know what I mean? I'm not dogging on all rookie cops, but you know what exactly what I'm talking about. So uh, it sounds like he's trying to make sure we, we keep the good ones, weed out the bad ones, and that the training uh, takes an emphasis away from a warrior and puts it back on being a guardian, protect and serve. I appreciate that. Is that going to be enough for Ken and Karen, who were upset about their mansion having far too many people walking in front of it? We'll discuss in just a few moments one of my favorite phenomena. It's 2020. Karen's gone wild. It's next. Chris Merrill in for Armstrong and Getty. vacationing. I hope that's all right with you. We need a rest now and again. Yeah, we're worn out. Merrill's going to let you know what's going on in the world. Indeed, indeed. Thank you, guys. We'll look forward to your return. In the meantime, we'll do our best to hang hang on here, hold on to the fort. So, we've been talking about the defunding the police, we've been talking about the protests. Well, the protests took a strange turn this week when all of a sudden we had protesters met up with my favorite new group of people from 2020, and that is the Karens. And if you're unfamiliar, the Karens are pretty great. Karens are basically the name uh, that we assign to any uh, batty white lady who feels like her entire life is being impeded upon. She's the kind of person that wants to call the manager about everything. Okay? So they get very... They get upset, and they want things their way! So they get all, and, and the internet is littered with these. I just started following a new account on the Twitter uh, machine today. Uh, Karen's Gone Wild, underscore. It has 24,000 followers. It's pretty fantastic. Uh, so it's full of vulgarity, so I'm not just going to randomly grab one. Uh, but they're great. It's just Karen's who have felt like they've been really, you know, really infringed upon. Uh, like this lady in Florida who didn't want to wear, oh, excuse me, I don't think she was in Florida. No, no, I think this one was in Ventura, right? Yeah, I think she was in Ventura, yeah, Ventura, California. She's very upset. She had to wear a mask. I protest face coverings. I am a healthy American. American. I used to be free. <laughs> so I, I think it's under, easy to understand your mistake there. The, the, the philosophy she has is very Floridian, but her presentation <laughs> screams theater group. She, Thank she's, you. She's done improv before. You're correct. She's and she's she's an older woman who almost harkens back to the golden age of the of the 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 big screen. Am I right? Yes. Like yes. It's almost like she's got a weird 
uh, mid-Atlantic affectation to her voice. I am a healthy American. American. Overacting? Yes, <laughs> overacting. <laughs> yes. I am a healthy American. Oh, the Americans have allowed me to play now. Yes, she's wonderful. I used to be free. I, I am not a terrorist. And scene. She has told... Uh, high school students with Groupons to her improv <laughs> class that you project from your diaphragm at least 20 times in her life. We want to let in the good air and let out the bad. The rain in Spain falls mainly in the plain. I used to be free. I, I am not a terrorist. I, I am not Antifa. No. I, I am not a sex slave that wears masks. Wait, For what? less than $35. Certainly not. I, I am not a sex slave that wears masks. I am not into sadomasochism and bondage. That's tragic. Okay, we got okay. Good. I like I like the passion and the energy. You're at um, you're at like a nine. Can we right. try one read at a seven? Let's see how that sounds. So my confusion with this is I am not into sadomasochism and bondage. All right, then how did you get your break? I don't understand how you possibly would have made it to as far as you've ventured in your film film career. I, I. am not a burglar. I am not a pandering politician like we see here. Here. And here. And here. And here. And here. And here. I. I. Oh, you're right. That's good, Sean. She brought it, she brought it right back down. The crescendo and then bring it down. Let's bring them in now. This is like the NPR trick, right? Like, now that I've come up here, I'm going to come right down here. Right? And here. And here. Crescendo. I. I. Pianissimo. Am a proud. Yes. Trump Republican. Trump Republican yearning to be free again. Shame on all of you. Shame. Let liberty ring. Yes. God bless America. Oh my gosh, you're right. She did. She broke right into song. Yeah, of course she goes into song. She has oh. she has been wondering why she didn't get her big break on the silver screen for years. I mean, at some point she's just like, I am a real American. I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. Right? How did that not happen? So did she Kira's bring her own wild. bell? Did, was yes, she, she did. Props? She brought props. Yes, yes. She had a poster <laughs> board with politicians and Antifa. That's what she was banging on when she was like, I am not Antifa. See? I am not Antifa. That was her banging on the board. See? So, this is a picture of Antifa. So theatrical. Oh, I love her. <laughs> I love her. Except, uh, I got to tell you, I don't know if it would work out between us because... I am not into sadomasochism and bondage. All right. What about like on our anniversary? Maybe a little bit? Maybe it's like some fuzzy cuffs or something? So, the Karens are fantastic. And what we saw go on in uh, St. Louis is one of my uh, favorites. This was the Ken and Karen. If you're unfamiliar, it's it's a couple of people. Their names are not actually Ken and Karen. I, I think it was I think it's Stuffy and Muffy. And so these two uh, live in a private gated community. They are attorneys who have done very well for themselves. They have this massive spread, and they're the kind of people that end up in like the better homes than yours and gardens. So and they, they do. They've done photo shots, uh, photo shoots inside their homes. So. 
uh, there were protesters that were trying to get to the mayor's house, and they thought they could cut through this private gated community to get to the mayor's house, so they couldn't. But that didn't stop them from getting into the the gated community. One report says they just opened the door, that there was a, a man door at the front gate, but then there were photos of the gate actually being torn down. So it sounds like the gate was actually torn down. So they come out, and you've probably seen the photo. He's standing out front with his his Izod polo, his salmon pink Izod polo, uh, incorrectly holding a sporting rifle because he's got his thumb over the barrel like he's new to action movies or something, which is a huge pet peeve of mine when I watch uh, uh, films and I see the actor holding the top of the barrel. I'm like, shoot that one time, see what happens. It burns a lot. And then his wife, who's dressed like the Hamburglar, standing out front with her 007 um, uh, pistol. So what is... Lacking what is trigger the discipline on her, by the way. She, uh, Total, yeah. Oh, finger off that trigger unless you're ready to pull it. So what's the deal? So they were on with Chris Cuomo, or I guess at least the husband was. And uh, so Cuomo goes on and starts <laughs> starts introducing... And he introduces the guy as being a very successful lawyer with his lawyer. We're now joined by Mark McCloskey. He is the St. Louis homeowner we told you about uh, in that video that's all over social media. He and his wife uh, holding guns, uh, keeping protesters away, uh, in their opinion, from their home on a private street. He is an attorney, and the couple also has outside counsel who joins us now, Albert Watkins. Thank you both for joining me. I love it when people show up for interviews with attorneys. Like, is we're it bad make sure. when an attorney needs an attorney? That doesn't seem like that. that seems like a uh, not a good indicator. I think it's a go-to. I mean, imagine if Doctor Fauci showed up for an interview with his physician. Wouldn't that be the way to go? Like, okay, we're talking to this expert on immunology, Doctor Fauci. And he's like, yeah, and I brought with me Dave. Dave is an internist. Just in case I say something dumb, he can correct me, and we can spin it real fast. Genius. Indeed. Indeed. Um, Counselor uh, and Mr. McCloskey slash counselor, uh, we can talk about uh, the legal rights and the facts. Um, But I want to talk about not having a right, but whether or not something is right first, which is how do you feel about becoming the face of political resistance to the Black Lives Matter movement? First of all, that's a completely uh, ridiculous statement. I'm not the face of anything opposing the Black Lives Matter movement. I was a person scared for my life, who was protecting my wife, my home, my hearth, my livelihood. I w- Wait, did he just say he was protecting his hearth? I think he did. I- I've seen the magazine spread. It's a pretty nice hearth. Who is protecting my wife, my home, my hearth. My- yeah, he definitely said hearth. My hearth, my livelihood, I was a victim of a mob that came through the gate. Oh, he was the victim. I didn't care what color they were. I didn't care what their motivation was. I was frightened. I was assaulted. And I was in imminent fear that they would run me over, kill me, burn my house. And you have to have this in the context of St. Louis, where on June the 2nd of this year, I watched the city burn. I watched the 7-Eleven get smashed in, looted, and burned for 40 minutes on live television with nobody showing up to do anything and i realized at that time we're on our own when bad things happen they unpredictably turn really bad real fast that same night retired st louis police captain david doran was murdered you know he's talking about people coming to his neighborhood how scared he feels and how he had to arm himself and then point the guns at people walking by and i actually get this i sympathize with him i feel the same way every year when christmas carolers come by i'm like get out what are you i don't know that you're just gonna sing jingle bells 
Hark the Herald Angels Sing? No! You might be coming here to try to take my stuff, and I just got a new Sega Genesis! If you come in here trying to get my Sega Genesis, I will pop you! So get skedaddle! Scoot! Get out of here! With your Carol of the Bells! Get! I totally get what he's talking about. I totally get it. More Karen's Gone Wild in just a moment. It's Chris Merrill in for Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty. Chris Merrill in for Armstrong and Getty. We'll be back uh, next week. We'll hold on the fort for the time being as we've been talking about the protest protesters and then a response from people who are terrified. Um, and I, frankly, I don't think they need to be so afraid all the time. I can't get over this couple in St. Louis that, that stood outside their mansion uh, waving firearms around. Right? I just I can't get over that. And the, the the guy, if you're unfamiliar, so the dude in the pink shirt made its way around social media. Pink shirt, his wife is dressed like the Hamburglar. Mark McCloskey is his name. And they were on CNN talking about this. And he really feels like he's the victim uh, in, in the whole episode. Now, he lives in a gated community. Uh, somehow, it's beyond me how this happened, but evidently the walls didn't hold up. So... Uh, the, the the protesters got through the gates and then made their way through the community. They thought they could get to the mayor's house. They were trying to protest the mayor's house because she had read off a list of, of uh, people uh, and their names and addresses that had written uh, complaint letters, and they weren't very happy about it. So they were trying to get to her house. So these BLM protesters come into this gated community with these multi-million dollar mansions, and he stands out front with his wife, totally you know armed to the hilt, uh, trying to scare people off, shoo them away, and waving these guns around at people, and he says he's the victim. When it was a mob, I didn't take the time to see their, their birth certificates or anything else. I was defending... What? What? What do you mean? Sean, have you ever stopped anybody and asked for their birth certificate? No, no. No. I mean, maybe the president, but that's it. When it was a mob, I didn't take the time to see their, their birth certificates or anything else. <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? I was defending my, my house, my life, my wife, and what I've spent 32 years building there. I understand what you say your rationale was. Uh, to be clear, did anything happen to you or your property? Oh, there's a, there's a key point. Like, you were threatened. Did anything happen? I mean, imagine if this guy felt threatened and then somebody came came through and knocked him over and, and stole all his stuff. The, the narrative would be totally different, right? But it's not. Did anything happen? Yeah, my, my, my uh, life has been ruined. No, I'm no, no, no. Target, no. We'll, no uh, we'll get to that, Mr. McCloskey. I don't mean to cut you off. But I'm saying that night, did anything happen to you, your family, or your property? Yeah, it's called social intimidation. It's called terrorism. Chris, what's the definition of terrorism? To use violence and intimidation to frighten the public. That's what was happening that night. It's what happened to me. And that's the damage I suffered. Okay. You get the feeling he's the guy that sues over ridiculous things? Like, oh, I was socially intimidated, and then people were really mean to me on Facebook, which is such a Karen thing to do. This whole thing with Karens. I just, I love the Karens to death. I'm a little concerned about what we're seeing with firearms popping up, though. Right? I don't think we need to be waving firearms around. Although, there, he claims that 
they went and got their guns after they saw protesters carrying arms. And I would understand that. I would totally get that. Uh, protesters are waving waving firearms. Hold on. I'm not going to a gunfight. I'm not showing up to a... a, a what, what's, the, what's the phrase, Sean? I'm not, I'm not taking a knife, a knife to a gunfight. Gun yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Okay, I got it. I don't know if there's any evidence to show that. There's been a lot of a lot of uh, photographic and videographic evidence from that whole scene. I haven't seen any other firearms. Whatever. I'm a little concerned, though, if we've got protesters carrying guns and then homeowners popping out with guns. Because think of the armed protests that we've seen at various Capitol buildings over having to wear a mask, right? And think of the different Karens who get upset about wearing masks and, and how they shouldn't have to wear masks because they're not... What? I am not a sex slave that wears masks. Right. So I'm a little concerned about firearms showing up at different protests. I mean, suppose suppose you've got these people protesting at the Capitol buildings, and the counter-protesters show up and they decide, hey, Bubba's over there, he's got no mask on, and he's got a Confederate flag, and he's waving an AR-15, maybe I ought to mount up too. Like, if I see a firearm, now I have to go get a firearm because I don't want to be the guy that shows up with a knife to a gunfight. Maybe everybody ought to just consider leaving the guns at home. Or at the very least, get a concealed carry so that we're not turning protests for liberty and equality into a contest to see who has the biggest swinging sport rifle. There's my concern. There's the escalation that's happening is all of a sudden it's like, mine's bigger than yours. Oh, yeah, well, mine's bigger than yours. Mine's bigger than yours. Mine's bigger than yours. This is where I think concealed carry actually works out really well. Because it's like, if you're concerned about your safety, you know you got a sidearm. But... Do you need to be waving it around and showing people that you're... I mean, you don't need to use it as an intimidation device, right? Meanwhile, Karens are going crazy. What, what's the uh, the spitting Karen thing? These are my favorite. I love it when just crazy white women go crazy. You have Cut 31 handy there? I don't have a mask. I don't have a mask. You're not going to sell me this? It's going to take you to... I'm, gonna, I'm spreading more dirt standing here, for God's sakes. I'm not paying for... We have a right in America not to wear a mask. Right in America. We don't have to do this. We have a right not to wear it. I think it went over there. Oh, she starts spitting on him? It's ridiculous. No law is objective with a mask. Oh, my gosh. These Karen's gone crazy, man, and I love them. And I feel like if we were arming Karens, then we've really put together what is like the, the Karen team, the K-team. Armed Karens to protect us all. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire the K-team. I feel good about that. I feel like we need to add some Karens to our K-team, though. Maybe we just add Karens. Here, let me see if I can add Karens. So we shouldn't have never had our beaches closed in the first place. So y'all can say everything you want about Florida, but just keep in mind, when you say those things, you are not talking about Jacksonville. You are talking about Miami, where they got all the Mexicans drinking that glass imported Corona beer. Here in Jacksonville, we know what we're doing. We're going to be just fine, so you don't need to worry about it. Why don't you learn how to speak English? Oh, another Karen. Idiot. Learn how to speak English, you idiot. Learn how to speak English. Learn how to speak English, you idiot. I know, you can't speak English. You're an idiot. Stop it. Stop it. 
Look at the piece of garbage here. Yeah. to calm down. Clean it up. Maybe nobody Stop won't do it. dumping nobody on won't do my it. property. Man, nah. Yeah, I am mad. I'm mad. Nah. And you know what? Listen, clean your property up. Maybe I'll nobody won't do it. I will nobody, call the cops. Nobody you know won't do it. This is dumping. If we end up on dumping. YouTube, I will see you. If it ends up on Facebook, I will see you. Oh, it's going to end up. Facebook, I will see you. All right. That is perfectly fine. Yeah, because you can't record if you don't want to be recorded. And let me tell you, my attorney, I love you. Ernie is going to love you. My favorites. Karen's gone wild. It's Chris Merrill in for Armstrong and Getty.